monster's madness and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters Magic. Hold on, take two. <laughs> take <Nailed> two. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, joined by my co-hosts Kelsey and Jason. Say hello, Kelsey and Jason. What's up? Hello. And this evening we're joined by a very special guest: theater actor, director, and voice of Dart from Neat Village, the legendary Dragoon himself, Mr. John Butterfield. John, how the hell are you? <laughs> I'm good, man. Holding on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we all are at this point. So just to kind of ease in, why don't you take us back in time a little bit, John? You've been in theater for a lot of years. Yeah. Can you point to where you think this interest was sparked? Were you doing a lot of reading as a kid? What's going no, on? No, I think when I was born in San Francisco and able to buy a house on Burbs and La Creek, I think they chose that area so it had a theater sort of community theater base through me. And that was sort of it. I think I did theater for the seventh on. I never learned how to type. <laughs> That's my only way of making money. <laughs> but yeah, uh, did a lot of community. It was really, I think the area at the time, there was Center Rep and there was the Willows. There was like three or four really good community theaters, but also regional theaters as well that were, and so we all sort of graduated. People I grew up with are, a good deal of them are still working theater, either in Los Angeles, New York. It was sort of a really magic time to be in that area, but also. What, what years was this? Oh, okay. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see. We moved. I think we moved in the early 70s because I would remember that. Um, nice. One of my favorite musicals. Uh, uh, we actually had Robert Wilson come see the show. So that was pretty, pretty awesome. We all got That's to awesome. Um, yeah. So from then on, <laughs> easily in 1976 through okay. before like a theater. So were you teaching theater as well too at one point? Or you... um, I was doing some for the city of Mulder Creek later when I was in college, uh, movement classes for them, historical dance and coaching. I didn't, and I was acting, um, but oddly enough, I got, I started to get more work, paying work as an actor, which is sort of a men are still a hot commodity in the dance world. So I was probably offered contracts before I was really ready for them, but I'm certainly not complaining. So that sort of carried me through. Yeah. So I did that for a while and kept working in theater. And um, right around, like in the 80s, I had gone through the drama studio of London at Berkeley, had done some summer stock and some touring, and the AIDS crisis hit local theater and a lot of people were still in the area. We did um, about five or six annual um, benefit celebration for life to raise money for local aids foundation and right. i put together a work for the first or the second one and from there we were approached to say well do you have a body of work i might well i don't now but i will and uh that's when new urban dance company formed and we were together for 14 years uh, so i had my own pickup company as well as dancing for other people <clears throat> and that just continued. And then from there, we morphed into a theater company. Yeah, I was going to ask, is that what led to you uh, making going back to? Yeah. yeah. Um, and while I was, you know, we were always looking for contract work, because we were all starving anyway. Um, but my sister was dating Jim LeBrecht at the time, he got the contract to do Legend of the Dragoon and the role. 
It was fascinating because I'd never done anything like it. I understood the process of voiceover. I'd done some technical work, some, you know, training videos for longs. Um, but getting there and watching it happen and watching, I don't know if you guys spoke to the guy who did the villain. I think he was the bad guy. Fucking amazing watching him do his takes. His whole face was like rubber and animated. <laughs> but his enunciation was incredible. And, and the watching him use his voice was incredible. And I certainly stole some tips from him um, just watching it. It was a bizarre experience, I have to say, because um, the whole PlayStation, there was a PlayStation crew in the booth with Jim representing Japan um, or their or the company. And they would say, could you say this like this? Because in Japanese, it sounds like this. And I'm like, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was weird. Um, That's but, interesting. Well, yeah. Um, and they wanted to sound I think they wanted it to sound very similar to, to their first release. At least that's what I gotcha. assume. They sent me a copy of the game. I, and I, you know, I, I sort of missed that boat as far as computer games or video games and all that. Because I was working all the time. But my mate, Maureen, um, <laughs> she, she played the game. And we, um, and so I brought it to her house and we had a bottle of wine and laughed a great deal. I said, make me do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so... That was sort of hilarious. And she later bought me, uh, I guess there was an action figure, which I can't find, but I've got it unpacked somewhere, um, of Dart. And then, of course, I have, she got me a shirt. Oh, <laughs> good. That's awesome. You wear that a lot. <laughs> it was actually cool. And I was stopped actually before COVID at the market and stopping. She worked on my call. It was a great game. I went, okay. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I guess because it's so, it's so foreign to me. And I know that it, it did really, really well. Um, and Maureen's been sort of tracking. It's one of the things systems so that it was, it was, it was wild. And I totally enjoyed it. And I loved watching myself do things. And of course, I wish I had any hair, but you know, all those things have passed up. But it was, Jim was great. And if you get a chance, you should totally talk to him. He's got his, his doco out, which is really great. It's shortlisted. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and he's been working, and that's been a labor of love for a long time. This really incredible sound guy, ridiculously. He did some work for my, my dance company, Gratis, is doing really well, so I told you, and I bet he did. So <laughs> you should totally find him. So it he's sounds on. like that a lot of you guys are still friends. Are you kept in contact after working together? Is that? Yeah, I mean, Jim is a great guy, and um, I know he got buried in, in his work, and then I left the country. I did my bachelor's. Uh, I got to the... <laughs> obviously, I'm old uh when i hit around 40 i was dancing for two or three different companies and my body was informing me that i think perhaps to stop crawl to the shower to sit in the shower so you could go downstairs and warm up and tour yeah i was sort of all funned out so um there was this great program through st mary's out here in california and i know she's implemented it across the u.s it's for working dancers and primarily she had targeted ballet dancers because they go right from high school into into companies so i could get my degree and still tour and still work so i got my bachelor's there and then wanted to continue on one of my colleagues said well she had just done um she just gotten her union card through berkeley rep and had worked with the director of new zealand so they've just started this directorial program you should apply and i did not thinking that i was going to make it and and i did so that was alarming and exciting but <laughs> and that changed really how i looked at pretty much theater in general it's an incredible place toys toy Fikari. they put out some amazing people and their program their costume people 
like she has 8%. They get jobs. Wow. Um, and it's, of course, it's an island, so everything's condensed. And Karen, who runs the costume, is brilliant. But they come out really, really strong. They're all working really good. But yeah, so so I went to New Zealand, did that, came back, started my theater company, went back to finish a degree, came back. And it's going to start another company. And of course, I'll go to town. I mean, we're, we're still in the process of, of, of putting it together. I'm, Mates of mine in, in New Zealand are building my website. We've got two full scripts, two adaptations ready to go. Awesome. But, you know, to be able to get back to them. And I know with vaccinations, it's all kind of right. Jesus Christ, it's a fucking. <laughs> 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 but yeah, and it's it's been sort of, that's been pretty much the, the journey. And I'm, I'm always surprised when you. So, <laughs> what would you say are the biggest differences between theater in New Zealand and theater in the States? Uh, I would say here you can mount a production and it can tank. Um, and that might be the end of you. Um, and it's a little hard to get over. Whereas in New Zealand, I think people are like, all right, we'll give it a go. If it doesn't work, did you, what, what did you learn from that? Try it again, or maybe try something different. It's not going to wipe you out financially and it's not going to destroy your rep. And, and they're very much more willing to, they're very much about new work and, and building and devising, building stuff. So everyone's trying to theater. So they're able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so but, um, there's some oh, great oh, stuff, some really, because they don't necessarily have huge budgets. It was another lesson I sort of learned there. You know, you just make do and, and Trick of the Light Theater Company performed bookstore. Do you feel like there's more room for experiment? Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Um, and I definitely, and I think I'll probably catch back to this. I think the problem with American theater, especially when actors <clears throat> were really caught up, we we're really sort of in that cult of the method. It's all about Whereas I think most New Zealand training is still hooked UK training. About. So there's technical training and then there's emotional training, but how do you get to that emotion technically? and respond to what's in front of you to use that and not not bring yourself out like if you have to have a breakdown and you're in a union contract that's tuesday through sunday twice a day you know you've got to figure out how to physically portray that and not kill yourself um and i think american theater is still wrapped up in the method about well i've got to find that emotion i've got to find that sound like no no Um, i think it's great for film (laughs) i think it works really good for film because it's such an intimate process but on stage i think you do the same if you're present that's great um but i think they're they're a lot more courageous and they're not they're a lot more willing to sort of take a risk or just give it a whirl um and i think and they don't at least from my school point of view, the performers that I worked with and the people that I see go out, they'll make an offer and rehearsal. And, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. They go on and they give you another one and they give you another one and you another one. Whereas I think in the U.S. sometimes people get really attached to their offer. It's like, I think they can do this or I, what about this? And if it's shut down because it doesn't work with the overall view of the work, then it's not a personal attack. It's just like it just doesn't work. Let's move on. So working as a director in New Zealand and working in director in the US has been a real interesting thing. And when I had, when I brought my theater company together, Butterfield 8, um, which is still going under B8, uh, a new artistic director, we had sort of a, it was more of an ensemble. I mean, it was more of like a company of players and we all sort of, and I got to sort of establish that relationship with those actors that like, let's just focus on the work. I think we did some really good work. Um, and I certainly learned a lot. And and because it was a small venue, it's great. Uh, Carol Davis, owner of Q Live Productions, it's converted pool hall bar 
into a small sort of like music venue where you could rearrange the furniture. And that's where we performed for 10 years. So it was great. And so it spoiled me. I don't want to work in big venues anymore because I think the audience, you lose something. I mean, it's great for a spectacle, but smaller venues, right? the actor doesn't check out, but also you as an audience member, you're, you're right in it. Like actors are coming in and out yeah. up your aisle, you know, you could reach out and touch them. Uh, the same a, way about concerts, you know, because a lot of metal oh, bands yeah. in Europe, they, they uh, perform at these large festivals, but the same bands will come over to the United States and we'll have to go see them at a bar and it's a much more intimate show and I much prefer that, you know. Yeah, you don't get, you don't you're, get that. you're right there. You can reach out and you can see their hands and, and everything and just and much more engaged. You feel much more of a personal connection, I think, to the performer in that way. And you don't have to, and you don't kind of check out and it's all about the lights and the fireworks right as a consumer of theater as like a theater participant i i i kind of completely gave up on the big black box because it's like i i I had seen much ado about nothing and i don't fucking care anymore (laughs) so if somebody was if somebody was doing something like interesting or subversive or queer like it was in a black box so i absolutely I love those venues that are just, it's a bar or a music venue yeah. during the day and the, the furniture is moved. There's so much more food in there. And now it's this, it's <laughs> a challenge, right? To keep the audience sort of engaged in the world that you're trying to create. Um, I have a good mate who's actually scoring both of our new projects. Professor of Musicology, as they state, and it's really hard because he's working on a performance paper for these kids and they, they have to do a performance, but of course they can't do public performance. We're, we're filming it all. And I'm trying to come less a classroom age. Right. And that's exciting. And it's everyone trying to make things happen. But I think that it'll be very interesting to see what happens, especially as we come out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because the large venues, you know, because they're shut down and rent, I think it'll be easier and keep something going. Support this building, which is, you know, and you've got New York, which is full of nothing but large. Shit. But I think hopefully we're going to get some really exciting work because I think the things that really excite people you know, Rent was in a small venue or started all kinds of stuff that came out of small venues that when were exciting, they started just as small folk. I mean, once this blows over a bit more, people are going to be hungry. Oh, yeah. I think they're going to just be hungry to be able to be outside seeing people, (laughs) talking to people (laughs) without shouting at them from six feet away. Um, And I think that that that's going to be great for the industry for all of us yeah, and even from like a, a non-consumer someone that's a creative usually times of a tribulation like a global pandemic yes. will definitely <laughs> spark the creative processes you know a lot of uh, screenwriters and stuff are at home and nailing out 40 pages a day because they can't go anywhere <laughs> i got nothing else to do <laughs> <laughs> it's also going to make like a big impact i think on everyone's brains like we're going to see a lot of art about isolation coming up soon (laughs) ah it's gonna be so interesting generationally to see what comes out of this you know it's like what will be what will have marked this year or or sort of the formative year or kids in high school right now or artists who are trying to find something or or the generation just sort of going through it what is that gonna say or how are they going to sort of express that years from now it'll be interesting to see what happens definitely so john aches and pains aside go ahead you're about to say something i was just gonna ask so what can you guys tell me about of legend of the dragoon and 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 uh, what made it what made it a good game i guess what made it a good 
uh, a good experience. Oh, I did a, I did a little bit of homework. I'm going to jump ahead and go first here. I did a little okay. bit of homework on the 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 sort of legacy of Legend of the Dragoon amongst the the gaming community, as it were. Uh, I did I did some some polls on social media, just sort of like what everyone's impression, what their feeling of it are, and it's a game that everyone has heard of, but very very few people have played, and it has a reputation as being very very dense it's very systems dense and okay. and uh i had i somebody compared it to like the ulysses of japanese oh, wow okay it, it's a game that a lot of people have pretended that they've played or I've, but they haven't I've, actually played i've got i've got my copy from when i was 11 years old right here oh right? my god it's four discs long and a lot of people say i played the first half of the disc and then i told everyone i played legend, legend of the dragoon <laughs> And, you know, this is a game that takes 90 hours to get through. It's incredibly wow. dense. So it has this reputation as just being incredible, but sort of unreachable. Also, because there hasn't been a remaster. Every All of the classic Final Fantasy games have all since gotten remasters and come out in various forms. And this can only be played on old hardware. Wow. And that's only sort of increased its reputation as this, like, dense... The story dense lost <laughs> gem of mystery game. of the book. So is that you'll have to excuse my ignorance. Um, uh, games now, RPG games, games of this sort now, like the Final Fantasy games, to take you. What's the time limit, I guess, or what's the time expectancy to get through it, as opposed to some game? So the 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 benchmark that a lot of people say for video games in general is you want thirty hours out of it to get your money's worth. Wow. Okay. Uh, which that has ballooned up and up. I think your your Super Mario's and your Sonic the Hedgehogs people can get through those in about an hour. And so right. the long form narrative stuff has kind of blown up. And so we do expect games. To, uh, okay. But at the time, this was of an unprecedented length. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Holy. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I think now probably if you look at something like The Witcher, that's probably a ninety hour game. It's probably about yeah. the same length. But it, in in the in the year of our lord 2000 you know <laughs> it, it was also made by an unusually large team this is back when dev team and one of the big things about legend of the dragoon is it had a 300 per development and so and uh there's a lot of hand-drawn art and a lot of the background stuff and it has this reputation as being this magnum opus that never got a sequel never went anywhere it's but never it's, been still, tinkered with. it's still it's <laughs> still like stuck in everyone's i didn't talk to anybody who hadn't heard of it i just also didn't talk to anybody who had played it but I, I'm saying there's two there's two handsome boys right here who have played it, Justin and Jason. And these are the only other people I've ever met that have actually played this fucking game all the way through. Wow. Yeah, and you know, me and Jason have known each other since uh sixth grade. So he's the only person I've known that's playing that's played this game as well my entire life. Wow. How does it how do you think it holds up as, See, as opposed to other games like like kelsey said like even for today legend of dragoon is ridiculously ambitious like you have games these days that are just barely scraping up against like proper 300 person dev teams and even the latest rpg cyberpunk 2077 that only tops out at like 20 uh, 70 hours so it's not even close to like the type of ambition that legend of dragoon had wow that's that's amazing i it's cool to know because i mean when we did the voices we, we were just coming in we did the contract and we left i, I don't know if any were gamers at all but when we all kind of went on think about 
foolishly what was the end product and, and how did it last and it's kind of cool to know that it's had this sort of staying power of this sort of sort of iconic status in it it's a game that if it wasn't if it wasn't special it would have been forgotten by. I, I sincerely believe that and is anyone like who i guess who owns it and and is no one why are the what would be the drawbacks of trying to convert it to a new system or a new playing system? all right I so i know that question as far as i know sony still owns the ip and i would assume that their main like hang up and not getting it remastered is that it is a very dense it was a very dense expensive game even for its time and budgets have only ballooned since then so yeah and even a game that one of the most popular games of all time is final fantasy 7 and it's just now getting the remake treatment it's taken them five to ten years to even do that so so the reason that it's so hard to remaster is that it was made during an era where they would have static backgrounds they would create through a combination of painting and digital art and compositing and all kinds of things. They would create a very detailed background, and then they would put these very low-poly 90s PlayStation sprites on top of the background. Okay. It's very, or not sprites, but character models. It's very, very easy to remaster and upscale those models, but it's very, very hard to do the background. Uh, so Final so Fantasy... The thing that's really... Yeah, so some of the Final Fantasy games worked the same way, and the way that they typically get remastered is they take all those large... They're essentially matte paint in a movie, yeah. uh, and they have to just redo them. Oh there have been God. games where they've had to repaint them bit by bit, but the thing is is that in a, in a typical RPG experience, you may have 50, 60 of those screens, and this has thousands. <laughs> <laughs> it would be That's a Titanic you know. under <laughs> <laughs> and they don't keep i guess nobody kept any any of the archival get back that's a big issue from that time as well developers very rarely kept source code or any type of archives for the games at all like square enix didn't have any sort of version check until the ps2 days i believe so that's a big issue yeah wild to think but yeah, I guess coming from a different sort of mindset about that, I, I mean, in, even in theater, you always archive your work in some way. And especially because it's, it's ethereal, right? It's like you, you're doing a performance. It's not, it's not necessarily film, but you want to film it so that you either remember it. I mean, for dancers, we were using it all the time. It's like um, Elizabeth Escavio, an old native of mine, had to learn Swan Lake from the video or RNJ, and she just like to watch that and get up and go. Um, so it's a great way to sort of archive your own work. And I guess you just assume that other creatives or other people in that in, in creative industry, in gaming isn't a creative industry, would somehow want to archive their work and some or hang on. But I guess also you're working for a company like Sony, they have ultimate control of what's saved, what isn't saved, how they submit. John, while we're on the subject of dart, when's the last time you stubbed your toe or something? In- Madness hero. That's something. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it like? What's the other one? Flaming rush. Double think- slash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, when Maureen and I get pretty hammered, I will. <laughs> 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 Flaming rush. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's That's great. Those things stayed. <laughs> <laughs> And, and um, you know, of course, Maureen, my maid, is a great, very much into, sucked into that and watching. <laughs> I need to like that. <laughs> um, it's kind of wild. Uh, yeah. But, but we will have a giggle. She'll shoot me another. <laughs> was, 
were those long days where there are a lot of takes when you were? Um, it was all in one day. I came oh. out of course as wow. Yeah, I did it in one day. I think that was the deal. We all went in, came out, sounded like Brenda. Um, <laughs> remembers who she is, but yeah, I sounded like I. But uh, I was in the had better training <laughs> to know how to use my voice in that sort of situation, which is why the the guy who played the villain is so so amazing. Ah, oh, that's right. I didn't. He was working. Uh, Jim hired me. Was also. She's one of the voices as well. Um, Your sister? Yeah, she's one of the. I think the minor characters. I I can't remember, but I know that she did some. She did some voice work for it as well. Wow, it's all in the family. That's crazy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Y'all are the dragoons. Um, yeah. We, um, <laughs> Yeah, but you should totally, totally hood up Jim. I know that he would love to chat with you about it because it was like a one-day event for me wow, and Jean. And I think people went in. I mean, I, I know that he recorded over several days, but they tried to be down and dirty and quick with it because I think they were paying us. <laughs> I don't even remember how much I made for it. It wasn't that much, but it was something. So if you now I sort of understand your confusion when I eat because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <it's> like... <laughs> dude <laughs> like, ah, it wasn't just a one gig thing it was a one day thing yeah yeah i came in we did it so you mentioned something i, w- I want to circle back to which was you were getting voice direction to try to mimic the i guess the cadence of the japanese japanese yep. um there's this reputation that american voice acting and japanese have of having strange inflections uh, or even uh, being stilted. And for certain game series is like uh, the, the Silent Hill game. That sort of becomes part of the 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 feeling of the game is the slightly uh, people people talk about the dialogue in Silent Hill as if it's Lynchian because it's got the same sort of cadence as a David Lynch movie where it's very, very stilted. And now I'm sitting here wondering, is does the voice acting sound unnatural because there was that like attempt to match it to the cadence of the Japanese? I think at that time, that was the goal of, there was like three execs in the booth listening. And I'm pretty sure that that's, that was their goal was to make it sound as close to the original. Because there is some kind of weird, I, 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 re, I replayed the game in preparation. <laughs> and there isn't, there aren't a lot of voice lines. I think the reason you probably remember there being a lot of voice lines is you hear them so fucking many times, <laughs> thousands of times over and over. And so you really start father, to father, father. Yeah. At some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there are, there are little weird enunciations and stuff. And now I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested. I wish, I mean, I do remember the, it's odd actually when you guys shot me the, the email, I was, it is something that I do remember quite well just because it was so foreign um, with the folks in the booth coaching us, coaching me to sound in a specific way or could you do it a little like this um, and not knowing what, but there was never an example. It was interesting. Like they never played me. I never got a playback of what the original Japanese sounded like or anything like that. So, so they just said, go. <laughs> and you <laughs> I did. And you're like, all right, this isn't like, they would let me know this is an attack you're hurt or this, you know, they'd give me a few adjectives here off to the, but yeah. Um, it's interesting too. When you look at, I remember, what was it? Uh, Princess Mono. It's like when Princess Monoke came out and I think Disney had bought it and they released it with um, American voiceover. And I had seen in the theater with the original actor. I, I can read subtitles. I'd rather see, <laughs> I'd rather experience it as it was originally built um and i don't mind reading um but you know that's a huge industry lots of people that's how they're that's how they're getting by they're doing voiceover work and a lot of good stock actors continue to do voiceover work i mean like mark hamill was with the joker for 
Batman. Yeah, and all sorts of stuff. So he just sort of keeps you employed. It's not anything I pursued, I guess, just because I didn't think my voice was that interesting <laughs> um, or that, it, you know, I wasn't really trained in that way. But I have known I've done other things, but not a lot of gaming voices. Uh, I guess it's a different. So, John, in a perfect world, if, if you didn't have the aches and pains, do you have a preference when it comes to directing or acting? I, oh, if I, <laughs> I, I enjoy directing. I enjoy, it's a control thing. <laughs> um, I get to decide what, what happens as a director, not for everything, but um, you get to have a strong vision of, of the work. And we're building, we're building two pieces right now. A good friend of mine adapted Pride and Prejudice Who Plays Cycle, which I took back to NZ for a classmate of mine. And now we're doing Persuasion. Um, but I'm also doing Parties by Carl Van Vechten, which is about this group of people in Prohibition, New York, who are pretty much drunk from the beginning of the book to the end of the book <laughs> and have really outrageous things happen and amazing dialogue. But um, I know where I want to go with it. And uh, especially for parties, I want to mix in movement and text a lot, very much like DV8 does. They're brilliant. Um, but to be able to sit down and have the control of being able to create the entire thing is very exciting. I would like to be able to dance the way I did when I was, you know, in my 20s, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I mean, I take bar twice a week, and, and that's great, And I, but it's hilarious when you're at home doing a, a Zoom class, or it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. So we take the Dutch National Ballet class. You get to curse and swear, which isn't something you normally do in a ballet class. Like, <laughs> well, you know, he'll show you the exercise. Well, I'm not fucking doing that. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> you know, things that you're not allowed to do in a regular class. So that spoiled me in a way. Um, I would love to be able to get back to that. And and I think what's been interesting about COVID was that I kept meaning to get back to class because of my I've gotten back. So I feel actually I'm, I'm in better physical shape, but you know. I'm not jumping at it. <laughs> um, it was funny, too, because we were looking back at our archives, because just before COVID, the reunion, oh, we could do a little comp of work. And we went, we all went back to look at our work. I'm like, why are we jumping? Whose fault was that? Um, so, yeah. Um, I, when I did my master's work at, at Toy, it was a combination of all about gender. But working with the dancers with School of Dance, brilliant. Their contemporary program is off the fearless dancers. And so that's that was a boom. So to be able to be in the room with them and work with them is always great. And I don't miss performing. I've had to and something. I don't know. I think it always goes back to self-confidence or self, self-conscious. You haven't done it for a director that I and probably of acting. <laughs> but, you know, we're always reading and trying other things. And that always informs you about how you want. Yeah, I, yeah, I think my performing. Uh, I if I could do voice work again, I, I think I would, because um, that's kind of it's kind of wild to see it, you know. And, and yeah, I still I I'm in awe of whenever pulls it out. Like, look, there you are. And you got weirdos. You up, like, years your work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, oh, okay. And it's funny too, because I don't think anybody got you know in those you went in it was one one off to got resisted at all so after you did that one day working on legend of dragoon when was the next time you heard about it like just when was the next time it came back up for you well when it i guess when it hit the market they we all got sort of a complimentary copy and then rain played it and it's sort of it but um having worn the t-shirt out in public a couple of times people have said oh that was a great game i love that game um i was like okay <laughs> that's when you <laughs> need like, to yell like, at them and just go double slash and then double slash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I had the, one girl I told her, I was like, well, I, I worked on it. I did the voice of Dark. She goes, my God. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And I guess that's when I started to realize that there was a lot more to it. And, and I've had people, um, good friends of ours, codes for games, does, um, I think his whole thing was he takes old arcade games and transfer the new format we had talked about it because oh yeah because they had immigrated to new zealand because oh, no, 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 it's a really good game legend okay and i guess because i'm not connected to the world that you know that genre or that world or that sort of universe <clears throat> it hadn't really sort of hit me that the game had done so well and had done sort of its own opus to hear that it's sort of like the ulysses of, <laughs> cool my dad read ulysses i Got past the first three. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> I did not make it through you. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I have a lot of working, living and working in New Zealand. It's right there. What a, it's right there. Pass. Drive out to Miramar. The back lot. Everybody's working <clears throat> in one way or another. I mean, they employ huge, that and the genre and the fantasy genre. Like when I first got to New Zealand, they had just premiered uh, The Last. And Courtney Place, sort of their main dragon, Wellington. And there's the Reading Theater and then the, um, I've forgotten the name of the other theater, but on the on the upper stories of them, they had full-sized ring raids in their mouths just wow. sort of down on the street. So you're kind of aware that there's a whole other, you know, and I know it's a very lucrative business. And uh, a good friend of mine who's, she's a uh, manager for NerdBot, um, Mab, Marianne Butler, so it's sort of keeping me in the loop as to what's going on game. And so uh, I get to hear it, but I guess because I don't, experience it i i'm sort of unaware of the impact that it has it's exciting to know that it that it that it is its sort of own legendary thing that i had a small part in it it's sort of like very cool huge part huge part. <laughs> yeah. i mean you're the guy <laughs> wild i just wish i had his hair <laughs> good hair yeah great anime hair um but it's it's fun i mean you know freely admit i'm in complete sci-fi fantasy myself so it's exciting to know that that it's doing well and that it's done well and that you know he shaped some other games or helped but yeah it's cool <laughs> john say you've got uh someone that's looking to get their start in theater these days what would your advice oh, uh, good luck <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think you know have patience certainly and be smart about the roles that you take or the work that you make but if you want to go to school, really look at, you know, if you're going to want to go to university, look at look at places that have a really good recidivate rate, like who gets hired out of that um, and what are the networks sort of connected to that school. I think I was really surprised and lucky, certainly lucky to go to TOI um, because it creates a whole network of people, colleagues and, and camaraderie, actually. That's not only just about the business, but about the tape, but about the craft as well. And and you're we're always whenever I go back, it's like it's lovely to fall fall back into a group of people that all talk the same way about the work. So that's great. Um, and I think if you can find that, then then you're set. And and understand the benefits of theater, live theater and film and how they feed each other. Because I think that the actors that I look up to and regard as really amazing actors are actors who constantly go back to stage work mm -hmm. and, and talk about how that informs their film work and how it keeps them sort of on their toes. And they're always working. And that's really, that's the goal, isn't it? I guess to be working a living at it. Um, of course, Merle's from stage work, but you look at her early work, she was constantly on stage and going back to Cape Blanchett's brilliant. And she, you know, saved 
uh, regional theater in in Melbourne. They, her and her husband, run a theater there, and so she's constantly kind of think that forms her and makes her a braver perform. She takes bigger risks. Daniel Radcliffe, after Harry Potter, went and did a bunch of stage work, and yeah. then immediately after that, his film output was all really strange, interesting experimental. And I think that was awesome. He could, you know, pretty much call his own shots and didn't have to take a film contract because he was starving or really needed the work of the exposure he got to pick. And it's sort of wild to look at his, at what he's done. Mm-hmm. Film master, like, okay, Daniel, wow. <laughs> That's how he ended up having a, like a supporting role as a farting corpse in that one movie. <laughs> right. And then what was the last one he did where his hands have been. Yeah, the guns, akimbo. guns Akimbo. Yeah, Guns Akimbo. Uh, he was also in Horns where he grew some sexy <gasps> demon man horns. The Lady in Black. That's right. Lady yep. in Black was part of the Hammer Resonance. That's right. All good shit. And that was all after he, he did yeah. Equus and. Wagged his weenie on stage. Yep, Wagged his weenie. <laughs> <laughs> like, there you go. You want to see all of Daniel? There he I, is. I bet he nailed that role, and that's all anyone <laughs> talks about is his pupus. <laughs> I love the Hammer franchise, man. I mean, I grew up on that. It's great. Every Saturday night, bad. Oh, uh, Kelsey's over here smiling just because he's a Hammer horror freak. and you just, I am. You know, I'm watching all. I'm in the process of watching all 80 movies right now. Oh! <laughs> Quite the undertaking. That's <laughs> so cool. But Sir, I mean, Sir Christopher Lee is—he's my icon. You know, he's, he's everything. Brilliant stuff. Beautiful and fierce and intimidating and perfect. <laughs> so I don't know how old you guys are, but when we were watching Creature Feature ages ago in in the seventies, in the seventies, um, I guess Logan's Run had just come out, and then Star Wars had its. And so we were watching. I'll show you this preview. We know what's going. I thought my brain. It was a scene of C-3PO getting his his um his oil bath. I guess in the desert and comes back out. And we thought it was <laughs> and theater. <laughs> it's like we have to see it. <laughs> the days you could sit through. But no, Hammer's brilliant. I just I loved. It. I mean, one of the first full length things that we did for the dance company of joint production. We did uh, sort of a contemporary ballet with readers um, of Dracula, and of course. Hammer was a big influence. I mean, I, I, I still love a really good scary flick. <laughs> I really so cool. want to, what is oh, what's the one that's coming out? I, I keep waiting for it to come out. Um, the Green Knight. The Green Knight or Antlers? Is that the? I think um, Del Toro produced it. It's about a Wendigo. That sounds up my alley. I'm not familiar with it. Um, looks, inc- I think it's horns or horns or antlers or or something along that line. It's one. But I saw the preview a while ago, and I went, oh, that <laughs> So while we're on the subject, what are your favorite horror movies? Oh, um, I guess we uh, Mimic, certainly, because it wow. broke the rule. They killed. <gasps> you can't. Um, uh, oh, what is that great? It's a, I always get it wrong, the title. It's a, it's a hammer flick where they find a spaceship there, excavating a, um, a London tube station and they find a spaceship and it's all about Martian. That sounds anyway. wicked familiar, but I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. My, my of mind course on. I love the, for the camp quality. I love the Dr. Fives. Just as a mm-hmm. uh, Um, Oh, the haunting of Hill house. Uh, mm-hmm. With that's a great one. And it's in black and white. Is that Vincent price? No haunting the haunting. Um, I was thinking of a different house with Julie Harris. You might be thinking and, of the haunted palace, Kelsey. It's awesome. Uh, we saw it as kids and it's a piano. I have a copy of it. Um, it's based on a Shirley Jackson, Haunting of Hill House. They made a remake, which was... The case. <laughs> um, anyway, that one definitely. 1963. 
um, was the film. It's it's really good, and and because I think you don't really see the ghosts, you hear it, and there's an occasional effect. But I, I guess it's what you it leaves it up to your imagination, and 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 I've seen great. the movie you're talking about. It's called The Haunting. Yes, and it's beautiful. It's it uh, the uh, shadows. Just the I mean black and. Black and white's easy mode for getting beautiful shadows and horror. Yes, yes, really, yes. <laughs> really beautiful atmosphere. It's gorgeous. Um, you know, you look at Cat People, which is not perhaps the best film, but the shadows and, and the way they use light because they didn't have a budget at all. You're like, awesome. Boris Carlos, the Muslim classics. The Gorgon, the... Oh, yeah. um, the Gorgon hammer flick. Um, I uh, I looked up the movie you were describing earlier about the London tube station and the aliens, yes. and I believe it's called Quartermass and the yes. Pit. The quarter, yes, Quartermass. Uh, quarter, there were two sequels to that, I think. The Quartermass <laughs> Experiment. Um, I haven't gotten to them on my list yet, or else I'd know everything about. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't know there were two sequels made. I've only seen the I've only seen the first one. It's a great concept. Some of the special effects aren't aren't brilliant, but but it's good. Um, I mean, the way you describe the concept, that's right up my alley. I'm going to watch this tonight. <laughs> so I, I have a huge, like, soft spot in my heart for him, especially. Yeah. There's so much, so much papier mache <laughs> yes, going on like, in those movies. We'll make it really quick. Um, I think contemporary-wise, the series um, that I found super disturbing was Hannibal. I thought the art direction off the delicious. Matt um, Mickelson <laughs> is great, too. Yeah. Uh, it was great acting, and 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 I thought the writing was good, and just the atmosphere that they created with it was and terrifying. It was great. That show's almost more about body sculptures than it is about any like. <laughs> they just became it just became like sculpture eventually. We're gonna put antlers on it, and it's gonna look great. Yeah, um, and it did. Um, and of course, it's like he, he's doing his own cooking show whenever he's. They just film it like like we're watching them. You know. <laughs> Master I would. Dead. I'd probably let Mads Mikkels. Uh, like, <laughs> I let him just go for it. Oh, totally. Sorry. <laughs> he is. He's a dancer too. Yeah, he's got a a new film out about drinking. I think it looks a lot about day drinking. In- so I have one more thing I want to ask you. Oh, please, yeah. I wanted um, to talk to you about your swap to. Oh God. I- I've seen a lot of adaptations of Othello. I like Shakespeare's more like problematic plays like the, the Shrew and Othello and, and the ones that in general, whether or not he knew it, he was examining. Yeah. And uh, I saw, I saw, I've seen a version of Othello that took place during the Iraq war with all the care. It was right, one of was the, the worst na- things I've ever seen. <laughs> I think that was the national theater, man. Um, it was difficult yeah they, they came through town it was a touring thing and yeah yeah it was, it was one of the stupidest fucking things i've ever seen <laughs> oh uh, i haven't seen that version um we we did it i think think we bit off a lot more than we could in one respect it worked and it didn't work we learned a lot from it it was it was in a, a really good experience um but we fell down pretty uh but saying that as well it was like in a string of things we had done we had done an all-male and all-female cast of 12th night in rep so one night is all the boys doing it next night is all the girls doing it and that was exceptional and that was also my last vanity piece i was gonna play viola before i was way too old to fucking do it and um she's my hero um but othello was hard but it really opened up a bunch of ideas for me um i had a great 
gal playing Othello from Toy that I'd known. She was the uh, third year when it was the first year. And I played Amelia. I just wanted that last month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my motivation. Um, but that was more and more a big part of, of what I was trying to find in my own work. And what I hope to continue is exploring how and how we was exciting. And I, and I love to see it when it's successful. Um, I think we had some really good moments in it, but it, it inevitably it's, it's epic. It's like Hamlet and Lear. It, mm-hmm. It's like the Everest of Shakespeare. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. And, is, and the fellow's rough stuff. It's rough yeah. emotionally. It's, <laughs> everybody <You know>. dies <laughs> but it is still one of my favorites i've seen very few versions of it that i like but i still keep coming back to othello oh, so when, when i when i read that it done an alternate favorite? version of it i was i've never seen like a a version looking more at the gender side of things because usually the when people try to deconstruct it it's around the racial right but i think it's really more i mean and, and certainly that's that's valid but i also think women can be strong and and what does it say when you totally reverse those roles Men in that sort of vulnerable for Amelia and for Desdemona, especially because there's only really two women in the work. Oh, and the mistress, um, most three, right? And everything else is run by the men. It's all about power and struggle, but also desire. I think Iago is totally jonesing for for Othello. I mean, but that's just me. <laughs> I think he's really this sort of is he really he hates him but is he really in love with him see i thought it was just textual canonical fact that iago is othello's ex (laughs) like a jealous (laughs) ex that's the sort of vibe i've always got great and that's a great way to uh, that would be an amazing thing to play absolutely (laughs) um but yeah i think the sexual tension is huge Um, and having women sort of I think that was the thing we learned about Twelfth Night. It was so awesome to in the company get a chance to. They hadn't done roles written that are super expansive and not necessarily um, having to, you know, do the typical or this or that. They 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 took the ball and ran with it. Exciting to, and I think that we had that as well. And it's just, I think I fell down. But I think I would like to come back to and try it again. I was going to say that was a long time ago. You were probably young in your directing career then. Give it another go. It was all a learning experience, but it is a play I'd like to come back to because there's some really gorgeous poetry. And it's tense. It's like all these different, there's constantly bad happening, really shitty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to hide it. And, and, uh, you know, it is a good piece, but um, it requires I want to say this before I forget, because you mentioned the haunting of Hill House earlier. I have not watched it myself, but I've had like five straight guests tell me to watch the Haunting of Hill House series. The Haunting of Bly Manor, the sequel, is good. (laughs) (laughs) Bly Manor is very good. Okay, I will check that out. Um, But you should check out the film if you haven't. It's 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 a classic and it's a great cast. Definitely will. Oh, on the extras, he talks about filming the exterior shots red or something. He does something so that the the bounce of the color or the definition of the film pops and really on the wallpaper in the house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be ill just walking down the hall. (laughs) John, we're not going to keep you all night. Uh, If Jason or Kelsey don't have anything else for you, I'll just end by asking, what do you have on the horizon? What are you working on? Um, where the company's doing, uh, well, we've got these two scripts, but what am I working on? I'm working on, um, this concert with my Gordon to get all things together. Oh, and we're building a video for 19 Hand Horse, which is a musical group out here. 
Natalie Archangel was in my company as a vocalist, a band, been in rebranded with, uh, with Bear Witness Film Group and myself working with them as best we can. Right. I, you know, I guess that's the big thing has been able to try to learn and what happens. But thank you guys. I'm super honored that um, <laughs> you think your audience is interested and that's great. And I'm excited <laughs> to know that Legends of Dragoon is so epic out there. Um, Even if they're not, we are. <laughs> the honor's all ours yeah the pleasure's ours man it was great i told my sister we were going to be talking to you and she flipped out <laughs> no way it's like her favorite video game <laughs> awesome all right i'll have to go back and look at all my exclamation thunder rush and baller and all that. it's been well, great John. i'll definitely send you this when it's uh ready and sweet you get the stuff you're working on done we'll love to talk about it absolutely Are you? <laughs> okay. you have a great night you too, man. Thanks again. All right, no problem. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, John.